Blighty Thank God is based on the diary our family discovered my late father, Flight Sergeant Ron Chapman, wrote in 1943 when he was a young RAF pilot serving in the Middle East and Italy. I'm Neil Chapman, a former journalist. Like The Last Post, played by guitarist Mark Knopfler, the podcast is a tribute to war veterans, to both my father and the people he served with in World War II. I'm grateful for permission to use the music, which is featured in full at the end of the episode. In launching Blighty Thank God, I've received invaluable help from professional podcaster Sam Pauley of Summit Up. She asked me about the podcast and my research into the diary. Neil, it's been for me such a privilege to pay just a very, very small part in, in this project that, um, that you've taken on. But I'm really keen to hear, how did this project come about in the first place? Uh, well, it came about uh, because we, as a family, found a diary when my late mother died. And she died 30 years after my father that we discovered in her effects a diary that he had written back in 1943 when he was a World War II RAF pilot. Now, when he died, surprisingly, we found uh, interest from the Royal Air Force Association for his logbook. And that was the first time that we had understood some of the things that he'd done during the war. And so taking the logbook and the diary, what have you done with that and what have you been trying to achieve? I started in looking at the logbook before I even knew the diary existed. And some of the stories I found from that, uh, for example, about his plane crash, when his plane crashed, I looked at that and I wrote about that so that our family quite understood what had happened. Then I looked when I got the diary. I then transcribed the diary and added notes to each of the entries to explain what what he was talking about. And what do you think you've got out from this whole process, Neil? It must have been an extraordinary process to go through for you. I think my brother summed it up best where he said, we're hearing dad, our father, talk to us again. Because it's very much, the diary is very much in his voice, his style of speaking, um, his attitudes as well. And as three brothers there are, we lost him I was in my 20s and my brothers were similarly very uh, young. So we, we we lost him actually quite early on in our life. And for most of our lives, we we obviously didn't know him. So it's it's learning something about a parent when they were basically a young man. And, and, and that's been quite enjoyable. What it did reveal to me was some of the dangers they faced, literally. Death was always something that lurked. Um, in there and one of the episodes talks about a friend of his who was just killed instantly when the plane he was delivering somewhere he took off and it and it crashed very quickly and I believe my father saw that and so you know he lost people he knew and colleagues and that could happen to any of them and in fact my father told my brother he never thought he'd ever see the end of it he always uh he just didn't think he'd live through it. That sort of refers a bit to the title of, of your podcast series as well, doesn't it? Because I think that was 
something that he didn't maybe expect to come back, as you said. No, literally, the, the logbook is um, a very official document. It had to be signed off uh, each month for the time that my father had flown. So it kept a record, an official record of uh, what he'd flown. And uh, I think there was an endorsement because of his plane crash in there. So it was, a, it was very official. It's almost like his license, in effect, to fly. But... However official it was, he had to keep the record of where he was. Uh, and when he obviously landed back into back to the UK, he wrote, Blighty, thank God. And that's the relief he must have had that he'd made it home. It's a very emotional it's emotional to listen to you now, but it's an emotional thing for, for you to talk about. And so what, before the diary, did you actually know about your father's service during the Second World War? As a child, I knew three things. I knew that he had crashed a plane, and I talk about that in one of the episodes, because he'd lost his teeth, and I would see the teeth next to his you know, on his bedside table, and as a child, you go, why have you got no teeth, Dad? You know, that sort of thing. Um, so I knew that he explained he'd lost his teeth in that crash. I knew that he uh, suffered from malaria, and he probably got that in West Africa because periodically he would be confined to bed, he'd have a fever, etc., and that lasted all his life. And the last thing I did know was that he ha he flew Dakota aircraft which was a transport plane, and he, I knew that because he, we had, he had the manual and it had a fold-out and it, it looked as if you were sitting in the cockpit with all the instruments about. And as a child, I used to imagine sitting in the comp, cockpit. But they were really the only three things I, I, I knew what he did. He didn't really talk, uh, talk about it that much. I think that was true for so many, wasn't it, veterans that came back? If you ever turned around and said, well oh, it was tough during the war, someone would turn around and tell you, and you think you had it difficult? Well, guess what? Back home here, they were bombing us. We had rationing. We, you know, I mean, don't tell me your troubles. I suspect there was an element of that. I know his, his family, I think within months of him going overseas, is uh, he went overseas in November, December 1941. My aunt, his sister, told me it was actually on January the 1st, 1942. They got the tele a telegram saying he'd been involved in a crash. So literally within weeks of saying goodbye to him, they, they're told he's in hospital, plane crashed, um, that he was alive, but he was seriously injured. Um, and it's that sort of thing. It must have just for his family, it, it must have been a pretty difficult time. But also that is continuing that conversation for his grandchildren, your grandchildren, and for other children of the, that generation as well, that next generation, which I think is so important. I've asked his grandchildren to contribute to the podcast uh, so that their voices are heard. And um, one of them did say, I've learned some things about my grandfather because they never even, only one of them ever met him as, uh, when he was a baby. So he, none of them ever knew him. So it gives, a, a, again, a, a, an opportunity for them to uh, learn something in a different way. 
Partly because this is where he served in the Middle East and then on, uh, on to Italy during 1943 and in West Africa prior to this. Uh, there's not been a lot written about it. And um, I've had to go to quite obscure books, some of which were just memoirs written by people who were there. The other thing about it as well is that when I was researching uh, different material around it, I often came across forums where people had posted, my uncle, my father, my grandfather, their relative, served here, uh, and they'll name the place. Does anyone know about it? So on different forums I came across, there were so often people looking for information, and I was lucky that I had this diary in order to fill in things that they would love of their relative. And that's the reason why when I, one of the episodes about uh, Flight Sergeant Jimmy Eden, a friend of my father's who was killed, I tracked, managed to track down the baby daughter that this Jimmy Eden had when he was killed. And she was only 30 months old when he died. And now when I tracked her down and found her, she was 80. And she it was lovely to have a conversation with her. And she you know, was very uh, emotional because I was able to tell her things about her father that she said she'd always longed to know. And, and I wanted to ask you about that anyway, about that episode, because uh, as an example of how you were unlocking the stories that you found, because I think you only for that one only had a, a nine word clue. How did you go about doing that? talk about it somewhat in the episode but it was literally it said um it's a year ago since jimmy got his so i knew there was a jimmy and there was a date that a year before this guy had got his probably killed so i went to the commonwealth war graves commission which allows you to search on who was killed on that day and the most likely one was James Eden, who had been killed. And then I looked and saw it was the same place my father was on that day, according to his service record. So then I went into other records and found that James Eden had been on a flight convoy where a number of planes were flying from West Africa up to North Africa and that my father had been in one hurricane fighter plane and James Eden had been in another one. And they took off and flew across Africa up to Egypt. And then from that, I was able to discover what happened to James. But I didn't have a photograph. And I, through other research, I knew he'd joined the service in the northwest of the country. But then I was talking to a neighbor and I told this neighbor, I wonder, could you have a look on the Ancestry.com who James Eden was, etc. And she managed to discover that, A, that he was married, and B, that he had a daughter, and that there were living grandchildren as well. And so somehow I managed to get in touch with them. And that's through the exchange of information I was then to able to, with a photograph, identify Jimmy in the graduation pictures and different training courses that my father went on. So I knew they knew each other very well. I knew that they would have been friends because of coming from the North and they'd been through so much together. And that obviously had touched my father on that day 
the anniversary of Jimmy's death. Let me just ask you a bit more about the diary itself, Neil, as well, because I'm interested. You said he were he was out there in 1941, but the diary itself is just one for 1943. Why do you think that was? My f- father, as far as we know, didn't keep a diary beforehand, and he never kept a diary afterwards. And we have theorized that it seems odd that on January the 1st, 1943, you'd start writing a diary and keep a diary for a year and then stop. So we think there may well have been other volumes, but we've never found them and we never will, I think. So why he kept it for that year, I don't know. It's probably because he had maybe a bit more time being stuck in Iraq and just wanted to write it down. But the, but the, the fact is that there were specific um, posters, because, as you know, the World War II had lots of posts is saying, you know, dig for victory, uh, keep calm and carry on. Well, there was one, don't keep a diary. It could fall into enemy hands. And there was, it was almost like a specific di- um, directive, even to civilians. So the idea of a military person keeping a diary is a bit risky, but there's nothing there that won't, you know, gives away any secrets. And that, that's been for the research. I've had to read between lines and understand what my father was talking about sometimes because it wasn't absolutely clear when you found out what was happening you surmise ah that's what he's talking about i had no idea that diaries were discouraged but of course when you say it it makes total total sense of course so what can people um expect to to listen to if they want to tune into different episodes what what can you sort of tease them with now i would say that there's different stories uh, about not just about my father, but the, the larger context, what was going on around him as an ordinary pilot, what was happening to him and then around him uh, in the world. So, for example, one of the episodes, my father is in Bari in, in Italy. And so the episode, when I was researching it, as I thought, I started off by punching into Google, Bari December 1943. So what was going on? And suddenly his whole entries for that month made sense to me, and that's what I cover, is there was a terrible bombing raid in Bari port, which was congested with convoy ships that had arrived with supplies. And the Germans didn't uh, saw this, and they bombed the port in a quick raid. What they didn't know was that on board one of those ships were some chemical weapons, poison gas, which exploded and then went into the water and in a gas release. And it's the story of that. But my father's part in it is hearing these raids and also because the Allies were trying to cover this up, my father mentions going to a mess meeting. It's the only one I think he mentions in the whole diary. And just leaving there and, and putting in his diary, heard unmitigated bullshit. And it doesn't expand on that. But what was clear on the bigger picture is the Allies were trying to play this whole raid down because of what had happened. They didn't want the Germans to know that they had brought poison gas into this 
area because then the Germans might use it in retaliation. My father was going down to the local vino shop trying to pick up Italian. Uh, I know he would do that sort of thing, talk to the locals, and obviously the locals would be hearing about these rumours of these mysterious deaths in the hospitals and these uh, the civilians, the local population, many of whom were trying to escape Bari because of the now the bombs that were going off, and some of them were were affected by the the poison gas, not knowing what it was because nobody was officially mentioning it. So his his the diary entries are then talking about uh, hearing the retaliatory raids going overhead, the American bombers taking off and then heading east. So when I researched that, finding out where were they going and what was the result. So that it's it's his part of in that, which is seeing a lot of it and mentioning it, but then explaining, okay, what is it that we happened and fitting in there with this terrible bombing incident, the one positive that came out of that is the discovery that this poison gas called mustard gas actually had a curative effect on cancer. And it's the genesis of chemotherapy. And that's extraordinary, that long-lasting impact of, of a discovery like that and how that's changed the world and saved so many lives, you know, countless lives. And just just finally, Neil, before we before we finish talking, what do you think your father would think of of the work you've done, of the resources you've put together, the podcasts that you're you're making, all this different work and and as you said earlier, you've got some of um, your grandchildren involved in it as well. So the sort of whole project, what do you think he'd think of that? What would he make of it? I think he'd be intrigued and surprised by the stories around what he was doing. He wouldn't have known a lot of the information I uncovered. Many of the files and sources I used weren't available during his lifetime. And of course, there was no internet to speak of. But mainly, I think he'd be delighted to hear the voices of his grandchildren. I know he'd be proud of each of them, the people they are, what they do, and what they've achieved, as well as their families, his great-grandchildren. And ultimately, they are who he was fighting for, and, and all the sacrifices he made, he would have considered worthwhile. To find maps, photographs, and other material associated with each episode, as well as the complete diary with my research notes, visit the website blightythankgod.co.uk. I'm deeply grateful to be able to play Mark Knopfler's complete rendition of The Last Post, with kind permission.